Welcome to Watershed's March podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed um, and have just heard the news that um, we will be, uh, hopefully, um, society will be reopening soon uh, in the spring stroke summer and beginning to think about um, Watershed reopening and getting audiences back to the cinema, which is, which is exciting. And more about that later, I'm 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 sure. But delighted to be joined by two Bristol-based guests um, to talk about their uh, cultural life uh, under COVID. The first one is Edson Burton, who um, is a writer, a historian, uh, one member of a, a member, sorry, of uh, Come the Revolution Black Curating Group, um, and uh, is. For those um, that maybe go to theatre, go to cinema, certainly will be something of a regular on the Bristol cultural scene. Um, my other guest is um, very much a newcomer to Bristol's cultural life, and she is uh, Megan Mitchell um, and is a founder of Matchbox Cinema and has moved from Glasgow to Bristol in the past few months. Um, to undertake a PhD, which she will tell us more about. Um, so thank you both uh, for coming uh, along to this. And yeah, Megan, you, you're very much new to, to Bristol, coming from Glasgow, a city that I know very well and is close to my heart. But you moved to Bristol in very extraordinary times. Um, what, what, has, what has the experience been like? It has, I think, been unprecedented this year. <laughs> The standard saying now. Actually, it's very lucky, I guess, in some regards. When I moved, I had a couple of weeks or 10 days exactly not under lockdown. So we moved from Glasgow and came down. It was blistering heat for um, two Scottish people. We enjoyed it like it was a summer holiday and then straight back into lockdown. But we've been lucky enough to have a couple of chances to visit watersheds and see some films and particularly over Christmas that was really nice um, cultural relief from everything going on but other than that my experiences of Bristol has been fairly limited like oh nice walks it's nice to be near the river although I live I, I thought I'd struck gold the living across the street from a, a burger boat and a burger uh, and a, a like pub boat but they've sailed away now, so I'm oh, not really no. sure how, how to deal with that come the summer months. But it's been a nice change of scenery, if nothing else. Yeah, and 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 if you and if you follow Megan on on Twitter, you um you'll know as I do that you have a a, a special friend in the shape of a seagull that comes and visits you. I have two seagulls. I have uh, L and K, who are both tagged gulls from the. Bristol Urban Gull Research Centre and that is how my lockdown is going. I have two gulls and I report to the Bristol Urban Research Centre about their daily happenings. Oh, fantastic. Get, yeah. Right, great. Um, and just tell us about, I mentioned Matchbox Cinema, which is um, something that you um, set up um, and ran out of Glasgow. Just t t tell us what, what, what that is and what, what you have been doing. So Matchbox has a long and astute history before I was even involved, which is, uh, I think, lots of people don't know. So it was actually started over 10 years ago um, by a man named Tommy McCormick, who was really interested in 
um, all of these uh, short film nights that were happening across Europe in Glasgow at the time didn't really have um, much of a scene like that so he brought it over started to do it and then um, my colleague Sean Welsh picked up the reins of that and started doing um, semi-regular screenings of cult films but really we've came a wee bit into our own over the last four years and that's around the time that I joined where we now um, program pretty regularly um, films and events and festivals that focus on what we like to call the orphans, outliers and outcasts of cinema. So lots of weird and wonderful things, as well as some um, more cult audience things. So we run K-Drama, which is Europe's biggest and longest running Nicolas Cage Film Festival, and Keanicon, which is the world's only Keanu Reeves Film Festival. So that might be what we are known for or noted for. Um, And we got somewhat famous off the back of Keanicon the year that it happened. And then, of course, we were going to have a triumphant return this year or last year in 2020. And um, those plans were somewhat put at bay. But over lockdown, we've been able to do some quite interesting things or exciting things. We made a Keanu Con zine, which went across the world to lots of Keanu Reeves fans. We took some of our programming online in the form of Tales from Winnipeg, which was a celebration of our love for Winnipegian filmmakers, John Pays and Guy Madden. Um, yes, yeah, so that's us. We're exhibitors. We are also subtitlers. We focus on access. So we caption all of our screenings, but we also caption for other exhibitors. So we've been focusing a lot on that in the last year, trying to make sure that cinema is accessible for everyone. And, and you just won, um, is, it, is it when you won an award? Yeah, that's right. Last year we were nominated and won the National Lottery's Good Causes Arts, Culture and Film Award for our activity and subtitling. That's um, great. Which was really nice and it was nice that uh, we got some recognition. Because mm. it's, it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an area in the, in the film industry that um, I guess it's not widely known, but um, you know, films um, need to be subtitled in order for them to be more accessible. And I think in digital, you can tend to just think it just happens, um, but actually, it needs to be done by somebody, um, which is which is something that the that you guys have been doing. Yeah, I think a lot of people now assume that like Siri or Alexa or one of these other automated uh, ladies are able to just produce. Uh, captions and there are automated captions but they're horrible and an awful experience for deaf and hard of hearing people so the likes of Matchbox and other uh, human subtitlers I guess are doing the work to make sure that that's properly done to a good quality and a good standard. Mm, great and and the, 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 the exhibition work that you've been doing has obviously had to go on hold um, but you've, you've dare I say another word pivoted on online with the with Matchbox? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been uh, very considered in our approach over the last year, in particular for the first six months. Um, I think like every other exhibitor, it's quite scary to have the one thing that is maybe your livelihood, but also your passion and your joy taken away from you quite abruptly. Mm-hmm. So we were really um, keen to bring together exhibitors and we worked with... Um, Film Hub Scotland to do a series of monthly roundtables over six months for other exhibitors under the Scalarama Glasgow banner and that was really I think um, productive for us and that we felt we were reaching out and able to speak to exhibitors and learn 
um, from our peers across the world instead of just in um, the UK, which was really nice. And then we delivered, like I said, the Tales from Winnipeg, which was mm. um, a weekend long festival because we can never do anything um, small scale. So we got our own eventive platform. We had the wonderful Ella Orleans, who is a musician, a Polish musician based in Glasgow, um, do a live DJ set. And she also had um, scored, we commissioned a score for her for Guy Madden's Karen Spend the Me in 2017. So we screened that. We had the wonderful John Pays, who um, directed the film Crime Wave. Uh, so we had Crime Wave, which is one of the temples or staples of Matchbox's programming. I think if you should uh, ever come across us, that may be one of the titles that has stuck with us. Um, and that was really nice to take things online because we were able to do things that are maybe a wee bit more experimental than normally. So we got some funding to translate our whole program into French um, because it was Canadian and um, Canadian Quebec, French Quebec, government. Quebecois. Oui. Um, <laughs> so really like unnecessary things like that we were yeah. able to undertake and we also produced a whole print um, publication to go alongside that as well with newly commissioned writing and newly commissioned artwork from um, artist Mark Baines. So we've been quite um, considered in our approach but yeah we still managed to somehow be insanely busy. We've also captioned I think something like over 370 films by this point amazing. in the last film months. Yeah amazing. So we haven't stopped. Yeah. Well, welcome to Bristol, and 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 I hope that I hope that um, you'll be able to make friends of people as well as seagulls um, in the in the near in the near future. But you, when you said about um, getting take getting passion and joy taken away, um, I, I I could certainly relate to that, and I suspect you could as well, Edson. And you know, is that um, passion and joy of creating work, which you know, I know that that, that you are very much involved in. I mean, have you, how how have you been coping with lockdown in terms of your creative practice? Well, I can really sympathise with both of you. You know, I um I was working hell for leather on a project with Bristol Old Vic, where we're going to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the St Paul's uprising, and uh, we had quite an impressive program lined up and a range of community partners and other organisations and. And then literally we were kind of watching what was happening in London as they were sort of saying, well, maybe people can still meet if there's a capacity of so much in the building. And I thought, well, actually Old Vic is only that big. So yes, we could still, and then gradually, gradually, it was this protracted slow crucifixion, you know, and, mm. and then eventually, you know, you expire and give up. But I am, um, I think it's difficult because I guess creatively it's been highs and lows and there's things you miss, but then sometimes it strips you back to the things, to the essence of the things that you love. And um, and there's a purity about being reminded because of that. Because sometimes I guess in the delivery and creation and production stage, sometimes it can, there's a lot of slog, <laughs> mm. a lot of slog. And then you realize, well, actually um, what matters and I guess I've found that they're different outlets for writing. They're not the same, but I mean, for example, theatres, it's a struggle for the moment to contemplate theatre, although we do have plans for later on in the year, but I've started to write more poetry, 
written more articles and things in between, you know, different experiments, Welsh is National that, Opera. Is that, it, well, does that happen to be Instagram as part of the <laughs> experimentation? Things in between. Things in between. I um, So, yeah, I, I thought I was all platformed out. And uh, no, I've got enough social media platforms. I really don't need any others. And uh, also there was, I think, some kind of uh, inverse ageism going on. Uh, oh, Instagram's for young people. I'm not doing that. And uh, all the young people I knew were like, oh, Facebook's dead. We're all on Insta, darling. And uh, <laughs> But then what I found with Instagram is it really quite suited me that I'm, you know, I'm, I have no idea of composition when it comes to photography and what's the best light here or there and so on. But I do, uh, I often take pictures in order to turn them into text or the, the relationship between text and, and image in mind for me is quite fluid. So often being able to just snap a picture and to think it has an outlet and also a way of just archiving it, you know, that's the great thing. Mm. But also we talk about, I guess, creativity. I, I got creative and this is, I think what Mark is <laughs> referring to. I, I got creative in the other sense of that all the gyms were closed. There's no opportunity to grunt, sweat and throw huge weights around. Okay, not that huge, not as huge as maybe a few years ago, you know, getting on. So the creativity angle was figuring out, well, what do you do when all the gyms are closed? And and uh, I, I've been around gyms long enough to have picked up the odd from the corner of your eye, you see what the Muay Thai fighters are doing, you see what the wrestlers are doing, you see what Olympic lifters are doing. And you think, oh, all of that looks a bit interesting. And um, before I even went to gyms, I guess I used to do my old body weight workouts. So I started to do those. And a few friends claimed that it kind of amused them. Uh, I think they only saw snippets. They missed out the bits where I was actually like expiring in the grass. And uh, I've got a good exercise buddy as well. So it's a good way to get out the house and legally exercise. Um, so hexercise, because uh, Jamaican speech is always to either remove or add an, a, a H. So hexercise is my, um, yeah. is a, a different outlet of creativity on Instagram. I have a bit more fun on Insta. But I think this is, um, you know, one of the things that um, has been happening and certainly in, in my world of um, exhibition, um, we've we've been doing events, and I'll talk about one of them coming up um, later, I'm sure. But you know, we we've been doing events online, um, and we've been using this technology, Zoom, you know, for example, webinars. And I can sort of see a a, a way in which that will become. I think I've said it before. It will become part of the vocabulary of Watershed when when we reopen. You know, that there will be the um, there will be a mix of the the real world stuff and then the the, the stuff that's online and. We're all using the platforms much more, um, I think, rather than being off to one side, it's actually become part of our own um, practice, as it were. Yeah, I think people are also discovering that um, there are you can ex expand audiences that are, are not there, but even in other parts of the world. I, I remember I was bemoaning the sort of lack of human contact and so on. Uh, and then someone in this panel I was on said, well, actually, as someone who's a wheelchair user, Zoom is an amazing access. And mm. yes, the most venues can try to be accessible, 
and um, but even the best ones can you sometimes if you go to a concert it's a quite a different experience um, as opposed to, you know, to, to being able to access an experience on Zoom. Um, and I think, that, you know, the technology will improve, resolutions will improve and, mm. you know, and I've worked on a project where I think we were talking about online and people, real, I realized they're talking about films, <laughs> making films. And uh, you said, well, actually this is not about shooting a camera, a couple of dancers without thinking about all the logistics. So I think that, again, I think um, the penny will drop around what kind of production values are needed to be have a good experience. I think some of us, obviously, some people are already well ahead, like Watershed, but I think that will proliferate and that awareness will proliferate. Mm. I mean, certainly what in the film world, there is, there is there's no shortage of films being made, which I think is really quite interesting. If um, I don't know, Megan, if you've been... At the Glasgow Film Festival, it's it, it's been really it's been really weird because in the past three or four weeks, from my kitchen, I have been to the Rotterdam Film Festival, um, the the Glasgow Film Festival, the Berlin Film Festival, and it's it, it's a kind of very weird weird experience. But I'm watching a lot of films, and you know, there there's a lot of films being made, there's a lot of films being exhibited. Um, there's a lot of events, so there's a lot of activity um, that's going on. I don't know, Megan, have you, did you get to Glasgow Film Festival? It's a bit, bit ironic asking you. You used to be in Glasgow, you're now in Bristol, but you could be going to Glasgow online. Yeah, I mean, I've been really enjoying the ability, like you say, to, to reach out and, and be in different festivals. And I really enjoyed Rotterdam and... It is a different experience, but it's also the ability to watch things that I probably wouldn't have gave time to at a festival because I'm making my own schedule around it. Actually, what I've been most enjoying and the ability to watch other things is other independent exhibitors across the world doing their own thing and being able to attend that. So, yeah, so Spectacle Theatre, this little micro um, cinema in New York, this little bodega set up and I've been really enjoying, they've been doing weekly streams every Sunday of Fist Church, which every Sunday they pick a martial arts uh, film and then Blood Brunch following that, which is like usually gore, horror, 80s or obscure um, and also really just eclectic, weird screenings. Um, randomly they did uh, a screening of La Vista, The Visitor uh, or The Visit. Um, 1963 film which I've just become obsessed with because it was just the oddest film I've ever seen in terms of tone it's very um it's an Italian comedy that is there's no laughs it's all very creepy so is, I've, I've really is, is that a subscription or is or or is it um is it just it's not geo-locked or anything you can just you can just watch it through their site yeah, so they had a Twitch stream to begin with and it was free to watch and they've built their own streaming platform now. I think it's just called Spectacle Streams and it's free. You just log in on the Sunday um, mm. and you can still watch on Twitch so you don't even need an account for their site and you can just watch along. Um, and I've been really, I guess, they're programming anyway when they're in their venues, really exceptional, but online to be able to engage with that and engage with the conversation with other um, exhibitors and programmers and critics who have been like logging in and watching all the stuff at the same time has been really exciting mm -hmm. and also just because some of their programming is 
more silly, fun, upbeat, but it's just a nice release. And I also find that it makes me watch films mm. when I'm maybe not in the best mood to watch films, because I don't know about you, but my stamina for what, especially towards the end of last year, I had to really catch myself on that I was only watching like Twilight films. Mm. Well, I, I have to say, I, I find it very, very difficult um, watching on on the computer or the computer hooked up to the, the television. Um, and I, I have, I am quite unequivocal in my belief um, that the cinema and watching a film in the cinema is of a different order to watching something online. It, I, I, you know, obviously, I have not got a problem with online. I've not got a problem with access. I've not got a problem with, but there is a fundamental difference for me, and it's kind of reinforced. Um, as if it needed reinforcing, it's reinforced my belief in in the cinema, in the cinematic, and the experience of, of the cinema. I, I don't know if either of you have come across, um, you know, Martin Scorsese's article in Harper's Bazaar that he's he's written about. He's actually written about Fellini, but he's written also then about the the, the cinema. And and um, I I'm, I agree with Marty, <laughs> um, but. It, it, you know, it, there is there is access to all sorts of, of material, and that's great. It's it's brilliant. Um, but as I say, that's for me, and of course I would say that, being the cinema curator at Watershed. But um, Edson, have you have you? Is it made you sort of rethink the 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 live experience, that sort of engagement with the audience? Oh, absolutely. I um, and again, I, I include in my sense of the value of things emerging or becoming, being refreshed through the lockdown, I include cinema in that. I think one thing that really struck me as, you know, a member of Come the Revolution is just being reminded that actually we serve an audience and there's an audience mm. out there. And sometimes you have these crises of <laughs> what are we doing it for and da, da 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 And you think, well, actually there is an audience and there's a connection and there are discussions. Um, that are made accessible by cinema. I think there's also cinema as an aesthetic pleasure in itself, but I think of this year in terms of equality and inequality and so many things have been brought to light that has been there before. And um, I think cinema makes, expands the conversation beyond, I think an academic, dare I say elite, because um, it's, it's a, a layered medium, but has more points of entry, I think, as a visual medium as well. And mm. that's been something that I've, I've really, um, really been re-emerged or re-engaged with, mm. as well as, the, you know, there's some films that I've seen, The Painted Bird um, in particular, which I thought, oh, and I've, got, I've kind of joined the club and got a big, I don't know how big the telly is. It's very big. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it's not um, a cinema. It's not a cinema, unfortunately. You know, um, hopefully one day, if I can get a script off the ground, that's that earns me enough money. Uh, who knows? But you know, you, 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 there's films that you enjoy, and then but you think, oh my gosh, this would be such a richer experience. The small act series, for example, as well. Um, again, because they're cinematic, but also the conversations that would be had in and around them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now the the, the small acts, um, see Steve McQueen's um, series, I think is was was really interesting, and it prompted a debate about you know where they 
where the where the cinema, where the television, where the and I think they, they work brilliantly as a, a television event, you, you know, about the um, black experience um, in in London at that time, and and it was an important part of television in the same way that it's a sin if if either of you have watched that. I think it's a sin was really important television, but there was something um, there was something essentially cinematic about Steve Mc, Steve McQueen's a couple of the films in particular. Um, I, I I think Lovers Rock in particular actually, mm. um, and you, and I just thought I, I would I would love to have, you know and I, I'll still do it um, you know have a screening of it have yourself introduce it Edson you know and and have that dialogue with the audience, they shared the experience in the cinema and then the discussion and the follow-on from that, which it which you can't replicate um in a in a in an online space. And as I say, it's not either or, it's just that you realise that they, they exist um together. And I just I'm looking forward to the time when we can you, you know when when cinema and the other the other art forms can exist in their in their reality. Uh, and take take the place again, and you know, in that audience engagement. Yeah, but, I mean, just mentioning small acts, and especially Lovers Rock, there right. was so much discussion online, and people. I think often, in a, in a space where conversations are held, or even where there isn't someone platforming, perhaps the the director's voice or perspective on a director's voice and intentions and the choices that are made. And so it's kind of interesting hearing the online discussion around it. And um, because again, people are looking at the film as a documentation because the stakes are so high. You know, what's the replication of this experience? I expect something authentic. And actually, I think that's not the intention at all. And there's something more essential in the sense of, you know, the essence of the thing, which was the, the blues experience that he was trying to capture. And it would have just been quite interesting to have had a real-time experience that might have rippled out into some of this online conversation that perhaps um, did a different perspective for audiences that weren't used to Stephen McQueen's work or approach cinema in some aspects as a documentation of, it, of an experience. Yeah. And, and in terms of your own sort of watching um, recently or, you know, things that you've, you've maybe got, um, that you, you, you're looking forward to, um, has your, you know, have either of your viewing experiences changed? You know, have you found yourself? I mean, for example, for me, I found myself getting immersed in Tom Cruise films and the Jack Jack Reacher um, stuff. You know, I mean, I just, I, I just, there was a whole, there was a kind of weekend where I just went kind of cruise crazy, um, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I kind of wouldn't normally have done it. I might have gone to see the new release of a Tom Cruise film, but I wouldn't. I've sat down and gone, oh, Jack Reacher, this is brilliant, you know. Um, have, you, have either of you found yourself doing that? I mean, I've become immersed in film TikTok. I don't know if TikTok oh, yeah. is something that either of you are yeah, yeah. Uh, into. Even at the ripe old age of 26, I feel absolutely ancient on this app. Well, well, Megan, via my 20-year-old daughter, uh, yes, I have engaged with TikTok. Well, oh. film, film TikTok is like a whole, because there's all these different categories of TikTok. There's like cottagecore TikTok and alt TikTok and baking TikTok and, and film TikTok. And I, I, I got really interested because um, this uh, video essayist, Kaylin Meadows, 
uh, at Kiki Crazed on Twitter did this video essay, The Rise of Film TikTok. And it, it is just, first of all, the most like, really wonderful explanation of something that if you've no experience of TikTok, is such a great um, explainer of all of these like little niches and, and what it means. But mm. I'm just absolutely blown away by just the semi-literacy of all these like 19 and 20 year olds. Um, and even on a surface level, because some of the more popular ones, like lots of them really like La La Land, 500 Days of Summer, The Irishman, doesn't go much deeper than that. But then you hit a nice peak and there's people that are talking about their favourite, like Varda and Lahane is really big on TikTok, like massive. <laughs> and is, and is, that, is that scenes being recreated, as it were? Um, from these films or... or, or, or like many video essays. So there's like, the, you know, the supercut is uh, a continuing just video essay motif, but there's also, um, I guess, coming from like Letterboxd, this type of recommendation, like, if you like this, watch this, and this is what I think. Um, and then also more traditional video essay type things, like where they take you through a scene or someone talks uh, through it. And it's just, it's really interesting. And also um, people showing like all of the Criterion Collection box sets that they have. Like all these little like 18 year olds with like their pile and it's like Parasite and Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's, that's good to know because it suggests that there's a, a semi-literate audi- young audience out there that are waiting for Watershed to reopen, I hope. There absolutely is. And I, I think like before I was convinced that there was like you know under 25s who were being like barred out of cinemas by cinemas but having discovered film tiktok i am more than certain that the sector who has yet to work out how to use twitter properly is at fault and not the young people edson is tiktok is that something that's on your uh, (laughs) is that something that's part of your vocabulary well, I haven't heard of film TikTok. I uh, I have to say, although I, I, I've been claiming to kind of trying to be hip and stuff and sticking with Insta, I I haven't found a space yet for TikTok and I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I haven't found a space for TikTok um, at the moment. Um, I did a wonderful course around um, content creation, online content creation with Melanie Rodriguez, Pretty Talent. And we talked about TikTok and, and, but also I started to think, wow, I could spend so much time creating content as opposed to doing stuff. Um, <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I, I don't know. I just think, yeah. uh, and also I've got to admit, I'm, I'm in danger of, you know, my, um, my attention span is not what it was before social media. So I, I don't know whether or not I should uh, offer another platform of distraction or another avenue even. But maybe I might change my mind now that you, Megan's been mentioning film TikTok, which sounds really interesting. No, I'll certainly be I'll certainly be looking that up. Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, Megan, about your PhD, um, and that was the, the reason for the move from Glasgow to Bristol. So what tell us about your PhD? I, I, I declare an interest because I, I know about it, but for the, for the sake of this podcast, Megan, tell us about your PhD. Um, so I am doing a PhD with UE Bristol, University of Exeter, and in partnership with Watershed, looking at the roles of independent cinema in the age of on-demand culture. Um, and I'm looking specifically at 
three pillars of that. So um, how independent cinemas themselves understand their roles to be uh, what funders and I guess policy creators around about that. So specifically the BFI understand that to be and how that's communicated to these venues. And then how independent cinemas and cultural sector, I guess, um, that they operate with have created and begin to understand um, audience or audiences. So that's, mm. and it's obviously just a perfect time to move to <laughs> a, a brand new city and start in, investigating venues that I've never been in. Yeah, I've been like, to Washhead twice. Yeah. I managed to see two films. I mean, it, it, exactly. And I do feel for you because what, what a time to start um, a PhD that, and yeah, um, on that subject and and not be able to not have access to the, to the very the very subject but um I mean when when you know we put the PhD together with because it's a partnership as you as you've said so it's kind of more you rather than it being your PhD you you applied to do the PhD um, which is slightly different from from the way in which people I guess might think of PhDs but um, when we put it together, um, we obviously had no idea of a pandemic. We, we hadn't written it for a kind of, you know, as pa- pandemic secure. Um, but of course, as as we've been talking, you, you know, we've we've talked about the the changes of our behaviours, audience behaviours, TikTok, etc. So I mean, it is if ever there was a time to be doing exploring the subject, I think is as you say, it's 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 absolutely now, isn't it? If, if, if only you can get access to the people in the, <laughs> in the actual subject of the study. But I think you're right, not just in terms of how the actual um, sector in terms of operations are having to adapt, but also I have always found that not just spite drives my career, but the idea that there's hope for the sector. And mm. if anything, we came out of this with more hope than we've ever had to just by necessity. And I think that when looking at the roles of what independent cinemas, you know, maybe are doing within that, there's also a space to think about what we could be doing in that really exciting um, landscape that we, we're moving into where it's more accessible, there's better films on screen, there's more diverse films on screen, there's less, you know, old men in positions of power. It's going to be really an exciting future for independent cinemas. So I think it's just a good time for change. There's, there's certainly going to be changes in the wider cinema sector um, um, as well. I mean, I, 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 you sort of feel that when we come out of this, that you know, lots of the sort of landscape is going to change, whether in subtle ways or, or, or in kind of significant, uh, more significant ways. But um, with the growth of of streaming platforms, I mean, we can, you know, you can see that going to impact on the commercial world as well. So. Um, watch this space, um, and and it will be it will be published in four years' time. Is that right? Uh, October twenty twenty three. We're aiming for completion, so mm-hmm. sometime after that. But I am working alongside that, uh, publishing some other stuff, and yeah. Um, hopefully, be able to present some hopeful hopeful findings for a future that will work, like you say, with um, in partnership with streaming and I think now we're seeing a really exciting shift of attitudes as well where we're seeing exhibitors understanding streaming as um, the space for cine literacy education of audiences to take place and not like some scary uh, demon that's coming to steal audiences that weren't interested in these venues anyway. Um, yeah, I think it is that thing that exists in, in a continuum um, and in relationship to each other. Um, 
Ed, Edson, you you are indeed Dr. Edson Button. Um, mm. um and have done a PhD. Any 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 practical tips for any practical for, tips for, for Megan for Megan and surviving surviving uh-huh. PhD. Um, keep your life as uncomplicated as possible. Keep your social life as uncomplicated as possible. There you go, and head. focus and just know when to finish. Um yeah, it, it's 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 finite and you will move on and write other stuff and might regret half of it but nonetheless it's a point in time but yeah and on that sage advice that's all for this month thank you very much megan and edson